nowadays the role of the data science is a little bit like almost like in-house consulting right and and data scientists work on on many different projects because they always apply sort of the same tools for for different problems Welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thank you for joining us on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Jonathan Edwards and joining me as always, my co-host Jan Vermuth and Scott Burleson. Decisions shape the future. Making better decisions is critical for people and for society. Businesses make strategic decisions all the time about where to invest, who to, to partner with, where to advertise and much more. Customers make decisions about what products to buy and to use. Innovators, designers and engineers make decisions about what to build so that customers purchase and use what they make. Businesses have become more and more data-driven with data science becoming ubiquitous, but conventional data science has its limitations. In this episode, we discuss why understanding causality is critical for making better decisions and how leading businesses are increasingly looking to incorporate causality in their data-driven decision-making. Our guest today is Paul Hunemund. Paul is an assistant professor of strategy and innovation at the Copenhagen School Business School. His research interests lie in the area of innovation, firm strategy, R&D policy, and causal inference. He is the co-founder of CausalScience.org, a platform for fostering knowledge exchange between industry and academia on topics related to causal data science. So, Paul, welcome to the Product Quest podcast, and let's dive right in. So, Thanks for having me, Jonathan. A pleasure to have you on. So could you explain to someone you... Uh, just how would you explain what you do to someone you just met uh, in uh, simple terms? Yeah, like you said, I'm teaching uh, economics and strategic management here at Copenhagen Business School, uh, and I'm generally interested in uh, all questions related to technology management and innovation. Uh, in particular, uh, a research stream of mine is focused on the adoption of AI and how AI and machine learning can help firms to to make better decisions uh, and help them in their strategic planning. Brilliant. So um, you wrote a, a very interesting uh, article uh, on how businesses are currently using, um, let's say, AI to be broad, but machine learning and what is called causal AI or causal machine learning. Could you maybe tell us a bit about those those two different approaches? Uh, what is machine learning for, for people who might not be quite aware? What are the core principles? And uh, what is causal inference? And why do we need maybe both? Yeah, so... Um... That's the distinction we make in this paper, uh, and I guess uh, it's it's implicit in the literature, but hasn't been spelled out that uh, classical machine learning um, is uh, correlation based, and uh, with correlation based, what we mean is that it's a tool for for pattern detection, uh, for prediction, 
in both uh, high dimensional and big data settings. So uh, big data setting just means uh, nowadays we we have more and more data businesses uh, collect uh, lots and lots of data, uh, sometimes more data that they could ever possibly uh, uh, analyze. Uh, and high dimensional means that the, the number of variables or features, uh, basically the, the amount of information that we can extract from, from the data is also growing. So uh, while in, in the past, I mean, in statistics has, has a long history uh, and, and we in the beginning we we were calculating uh, covariance matrices by hand. Uh, now, of course, uh, the, the IT has taken over and, and that allows us to, to process much more data. And uh, well, classical machine learning is, is this kind of idea using or, or marrying statistics with, uh, with computer science methods in, in order to find patterns in, in data that you can later then, then exploit. Um, and this is very powerful. Um, there, there are many applications of machine learning. I mean, we've seen uh, uh, great breakthroughs in, in artificial intelligence uh, recently, um, but an important component is missing, and that's the, import, uh, that's the, the component of causality. Um, and you need to understand uh, very clearly what, what the difference is in order to use machine learning and, and data science effectively. So maybe we can dive into this a bit because um, I'm sure it's not so clear for everyone what exactly is the difference. So you mentioned a few key words. You mentioned correlation. You talked about prediction and pattern matching. Uh, what does that actually mean? Can you explain? Maybe we can start with what, what is correlation exactly? Well, not exactly, I mean, just broadly. <laughs> yeah, uh, correlation is is this idea we see uh, two variables uh, moving together in the data. So, um, and you you can measure this this strength of of co movement, and um, that that is what what a correlation um, coefficient, for example, does. Um, and uh, machine learning is is really this taking this idea, finding patterns in the data between two variables, um, but then in these kind of high dimensional and big data settings that that I've talked about earlier, uh, and that can be um, that can be useful, for example, if you want to target customers uh, as, as a business, uh, you want to find out uh, which are the customers that, that are likely to, to buy a product. Um, and if you find a strong correlation with certain customer characteristics, uh, let's say demographics, gender, um, or where, where customers live, um, that might give you an edge to to target your products more uh, more effectively or target advertising more effectively. Um, so so that's the general idea of um, of predictive analytics, let's say. So essentially, you, for example, look at attributes or characteristics of uh, certain profiles of of customers, and you try and find out which profiles might be more likely to to buy certain products and then that might help you for instance to uh, market towards these customers or and this type of thing um yes so there's there's this example that i i think is quite fairly you know maybe you can expand on this a bit you probably know it it's this uh this thing about uh the correlation between chocolate consumption and um number of i think it's i don't remember now if it's phd's or if it's patents or something like this uh, do you recall Nobel that? Prize winners? Uh, Nobel Prize oh, winners. Yeah. Yes, that's the one it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, coming from Switzerland, obviously, I'm very interested in chocolate. 
and I think actually Switzerland comes out quite well in that particular um, relationship. What is that? Can you is that a, a kind of pattern matching of uh, what we were talking about correlation? And what's the problem with it? Uh, yes, that could be such a correlation that that you try to to exploit and uh, it's fine if you simply want to know uh, looking at a list of uh, countries and you want to predict um, what or how many Nobel Prize winners this country will produce in, in a certain amount of time um, then you can use information on chocolate consumption because that's a strong correlation in the data um, to to predict this um, this outcome variable uh, I think a similar, uh, example is um, ice cream consumption and shark attacks. Mm -hmm. um, those two variables are also uh, highly correlated. Uh, I think uh, the example that goes around in the uh, internet is um, um, Nicolas Cage movies and the number of people drowning in a pool is also very highly correlated. So <laughs> the idea is that actually in reality, many variables are, are highly correlated. Um, and uh, yeah, that can be a good thing for certain um, for certain applications. Let's say you find a stable correlation between uh, a variable and and stock market movements, and you know that uh, well, if, if this particular variable goes down, the stock market will crash. If this particular variable goes up, the stock market will go up. You will become very rich from from simply this knowledge. So um, a correlation uh, can be very useful. Um, but of course, uh, we with these uh, sort of nonsense examples, we, we immediately see that correlation isn't causation. And uh, it's not that Nicolas Cage movies motivates people to to drown themselves in a, in a pool. Um, actually, in this case, we, we don't really know where the correlation is coming from. Maybe it's just spurious, but the, the shark attacks and, and the ice cream consumption is, is definitely driven by, by weather, right? Like uh, the sunshine brings out people to the beach. Um, they might get a bit uh, careless uh, and, and then the sharks are having a good day too. Um, but uh, it's not that, uh, um, well, ice cream consumption causes people uh, to, to get bitten by sharks. Is this, yeah. can I, can I just, can I just uh, uh, maybe ask <laughs> to clarify this? So, uh, I mean, this, um, this, so causing would mean what? It would mean if I put, a lot of ice cream stands along the the beaches of I don't know Florida or wherever. Shark attacks will will then kind of or shark uh, attacks by sharks will increase. So that would be the so I think it's that would be a, cor uh, a causation. So if I kind of intervene at some point, if I turn the screw here, something else happens over there. Is that yes. fair to say, or what would be the difference, maybe? Yes, that's exactly right. So um, I mean, causal inference is. Um, is a prediction problem, but a specific kind of prediction problem. It's predicting the likely outcome of an action or intervention, like you just said. So the, the idea would be that, um, well, if I'm a policymaker and at the OECD and I see this uh, this relationship between chocolate consumption and, and Nobel Prize winners, and I care about you know making a country more competitive, increasing the science base of, of this uh, country, then the idea would be I just make everyone eat more chocolate, right? <laughs> like eight-year-olds in school or something like that. Uh, and, and that would in the long run uh, give us more Nobel Prize winners. And that's clearly not the case, right? So, um, and, and this is, distinction, I think, is, is important for uh, business decision-making because if, you, if you're talking about action intervention, you already see that this is probably something very relevant uh, for, for businesses. Um, while a, a correlation, again, can be very useful, right? If, if you have, for example, this magic variable that uh, that correlates with the stock market, 
Um, but this is like passively observing uh, a system, right, of variables. You're like a passive observer, while um, cause causality and causal inference is really this idea you want to actively intervene um, in the system. So um, my favorite example is, um, I think that that makes it very clear also where uh, a correlation is, is useful. Um, is this idea of, um, well, here uh, in Denmark, very relevant. Each morning you look out the window and you ask yourself, do I need to take an umbrella with me or not? Um, for this decision, it's, uh, of course, very relevant and important to have a good predictive system. So you look into your smartphone and you have uh, weather forecasts and, and they're very accurate these days. Um, so so that's a, um, that's well that that's a prediction that you're uh, basing this decision on but the outcome of or the action that you take is already known you know that if you take the umbrella and it rains you will stay dry while if you leave it at home you will get wet so um, you already have knowledge about the action that you take causality on the other hand would be this idea of you don't just want to know if it rains or not you want to actually intervene, actively change a variable. In this case, would be the weather. Of course, that would be a bit difficult, but um, we immediately see that, for example, moving the pointer of the barometer uh, wouldn't be um, effective in, in changing the weather, right? Because there is a correlation between the barometer and the weather, but there's no causal relationship between those two. So I think it is worthwhile to to tease out a, a bit more uh, because it can be quite confusing. The the difference when we're talking about actions and intervening, uh, obviously, when we have these predictive systems, so systems that are based on correlation, uh, we still want to take some kind of action in these systems. And you've, you've kind of alluded to, to this a, a bit in your 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 answer. Um, but how is this action not not a problem? So we obviously understand that for the chocolate, although I'm really for increasing everyone's chocolate consumption, <laughs> I think that's a great idea. But we understand that if we increase people's chocolate consumption, they will not uh, will not magically increase the number of Nobel prizes. Um, but we're still making some kind of action based on these predictive systems. So. What is the difference between the intervention that we would do from a, a predictive system or predictive results and the kind of action we would do from a more causal analysis? Um, yes. So like uh, a correlation and, and specifically, we, we often talk about the spurious correlation. So that is basically the idea that we observe a correlation that that is not a causal relationship. Um, can can be quite misleading. So, I mean, um, examples that I've come across in, in my own work and, and teachings, for example, if you analyze website usage data uh, of customers, you will see always most likely uh, um, a stable correlation between the time spent on certain parts of the website, right? Let's say a product page and purchasing decisions, right? Um, and uh, now is the question, can you usefully exploit this kind of knowledge, right? In the stock market case, um, that that was the case because they gave you the information of when to invest and when not. Uh, but with the correlation between time spent on a website and a purchasing decision, you couldn't 
exploit this information, for example, by making your website deliberately slower or like uh, trying to artificially increase the time that um, that customers spend on the website, that would not do anything to your to your bottom line and, and to your sales um, because you cannot intervene on, on this variable um, uh, time spent on the website in order to... Um, yeah, achieve a certain outcome that you want. So, and for that, um, for these kind of decisions, um, it's it's really crucial that you have causal knowledge, that you understand that this correlation between time spent on a website and purchasing decision is, for example, in this case, most likely driven by by a third variable that is just simply customer intent. Right? If I'm already going on a website with the intention to buy, I would spend more time on on a product page, check out more features, and so on, and then only later make the purchasing decision. And here it would actually also be, I mean, it would probably even be negative to the to the bottom line, right? If you yes. increase the time it takes, or if you kind of slow down the overall website, that certainly would be even counterproductive in a, in a, in a, in a exactly. Yeah. So, so uh, that's can be uh, the case in, in practice, and probably hop, it happens quite a lot that the the correlation is positive, while the causal effect would be negative. So these are of course extreme cases where, like you said. Um, you you think you would do the or you you, you think you do the right thing, but uh, you you actually uh, make a mistake. And with many things uh, in reality, maybe you, you know your common sense uh, is is tingle, and uh, you you would sort of catch this that you know the Nicolas Cage movies that seems to be counterintuitive, but but sometimes it can be uh, much more intricate. So. Um, my co-author, Jimmy Kaminsky, uh, for example, uh, does research on, on crowdfunding and the success on crowdfunding campaigns. And uh, there is a relationship that he identified in the data that uh, apparently crowdfunding campaigns that have, first of all, a video, uh, that's that's always good, uh, yeah. not just text and pictures, but then specifically videos with cats in it, right? Um, that seems to be correlated with crowdfunding success, meaning that those uh, campaigns get funded more often. Um, and then it's a question for you as an entrepreneur, do you have to put a cat, you know, do you have to get a cat as a pet and, and yeah. let it uh, be a star in your video? Would that actually increase your uh, your chances? Um, or is this just uh, driven by, by some other characteristics? And here we have the suspicion that this might be such a spurious correlation as well, but we actually don't know, right? So we would need to investigate this this further. Okay. Can I maybe, so this is my kind of common sense uh, talking now, but I, but I have the feeling and I wonder if, if you'd agree or not, but in, in the cases where I experience businesses taking or teams taking decisions based on data, I, I would doubt if there is really this clear separation between correlation and causation. I would I rather assume that most probably if they see data and they see a correlation, they interpret it as a causation. So kind of, I think, so I, I wonder if you would agree and, how, and kind of how do you, I would assume that today most people think that the data that they gather, they, they have a causal interpretation without mm -hmm. any kind of theory behind it when it's actually most likely not causal causal in any 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 sense would you agree with that is that fair to say yeah that's a big danger because i think that actually many if not most of the questions uh that that we ask uh, with data or in data science uh, have this kind of causal component and uh i mean we we've spoken to a lot of data scientists working in practice and they confirmed that to us that many of the questions they are investigating but 
also that are coming from from maybe top management have this causal um, component to it. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're not aware, first of all, of the difference, then um, I mean, you can easily be fooled. I think there's sort of this, like I said, common sense, um, like precaution, let's say in it, right, that people would uh, maybe disregard the, the most crazy kind of uh, correlation. But in, in reality, it's it's much more uh, like a gray zone, right? And uh, yeah, that's the big danger that um, you, um, yeah, you, you don't understand the difference and, and, and you're basing decisions based on spurious correlation that turn out to be um turn out to be just simply wrong in the end it seems like it's it's what's so interesting is like a correl correlation is something that can be so precise and so quantitative and so certain and but to get the causality we're combining this obje extremely objective data with something very subjective this phrase common sense keeps coming up it's almost like these opposite ends of these opposite ends of uh, analysis tools, if you will, the most objective and the most subjective, we sort of have to use these together. And that seems to be, that seems to be, uh, would be a challenge for, for bringing these two together. Cause there's, there's no way, I don't think, I'd be curious your opinion of getting this causality a hundred percent with objective data. Would, would you see that in a similar way? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, you, you can show and and the the causal AI literature has demonstrated this very clearly that um, you cannot do causal inference in a purely data driven way. Um, with data driven, I mean, like a correlation, like you said, you analyze data and and you get a crystal clear answer out of the data without any further assumptions that you need to make. And then in causal inference, you need to rule out, for example, alternative explanations like mm. the one with the sharks and the ice cream, right? There might be obvious, but there might be other factors playing a role. Um, and you need to bring in a lot of, well, expert domain knowledge, um, particular knowledge about the particular phenomenon that you're investigating. And uh, that becomes, well, also more subjective in, in a sense, because you can make different assumptions and, and come to different conclusions. Um, I think uh, so. Common sense is uh, I, I've mentioned it, but I actually think that common sense doesn't always prevent you from from making these kind of wrong conclusions. You need a solid well, we would call it theoretical knowledge, but mm. it's uh, much less highbrow than that. It's just a very deep understanding, clear understanding of the phenomena that you're investigating. Um, and uh, that that is a challenge also for, even for, for experts in the machine learning and, and AI domain, um, because the current paradigm in machine learning and AI is very much this kind of data-driven focus. So uh, everything is in the data or all answers are uh, in the data. Um, and, and everything beyond that, making assumptions, uh, is, is seen as something fuzzy and subjective. Um, and that's the, well, the river you have to cross, uh, so to say, in, in causal inference, because there's just no way to do causal inference in a fully data-driven way. So, sorry, go ahead, Jan. No, well, I think this is really interesting because I think what I, I mean, so maybe I'm rephrasing this using the wrong terms, but it sounds a little bit like um, you you would say you need a kind of theory in order to make sense of the data anyway. And 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 kind of those who might claim that 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 there it's just correl correlation or the data itself kind of will speak, they probably have an implicit theory. I mean, even this, 
the ability to distinguish between this is yes, this is causation and this isn't causation. I mean, that's some somewhere in there is even an intuit or not explicit theory, kind of in in, in a certain sense. Is that is that yes? Right? So I mean, you you can interpret data in in different way, and particularly uh, when it comes to causal inference, and um, that is all based on a certain kind of causal model. Uh, sometimes it's a very explicit uh, causal model that is maybe captured in, in sort of uh, directed acyclic graphs or causal diagrams or all these techniques. But in, in most cases, it's, it's probably more implicit kind of theory. Like you uh, observe a, a correlation and then you interpret this as causal or you rule it out that it's not causal because you have a theory that there's a third variable driving this, for example. And I think the challenge is to, well, first of all, make yourself aware of, of the distinction um, and then also to make these uh, implicit assumptions more explicit, especially if you're working in a team. Um, so that's uh, our kind of um, goal, for example, when, when we teach causal inference to give practitioners tools uh, by which they can make these kind of implicit assumptions more more explicit and then also challenge it. Uh, I mean, I've um, my my students uh, when I teach uh, causal data science here in Copenhagen um, that at the beginning they always ask me like okay is this causal now or not if we do a certain analysis with a certain data set and I the answer I give them is like well it depends I have an economics background well, so it's, it's always this academic answer economist <laughs> answer right like it depends like if you make this assumption then yes yeah. if you make a different assumption then no so. Um, that that is sort of a different way of thinking, but um, it can also be useful. For example, in you you can do certain scenario analyses or and so forth. So we've uh, thrown around a few terms here. So we've talked about theories, we've talked about causal models. Um, I think it might be the right time to to kind of explain just a in a bit more detail so people can visualize what does this actually mean and is this the same thing when we're talking about theories do we does this mean the same thing as a causal model i mean what's what are these things yeah i mean you can capture a causal model in in different ways um so basically uh, on a very like high level it's it's the assumption that you bring to the data and different assumptions lead you to to different conclusions um for example if you assume there's no third variable between the chocolate consumption and Nobel Prize winners, well, then a correlation will be causal, right? If there's no other third variable playing a role and you observe a, a correlation between two variables, then at least one has to cause the other. It's sometimes a question in which direction it goes, but at least um, if, if there's no interference from a third variable, then, then this will be causal. Um, but Probably this is this is not very realistic in this case. So you make assumptions about well, it could be the um, the geography of the country because well, Switzerland is has a good uh, university system and uh, also has high chocolate consumption, or it's the the income level of uh, of the country. Um, and these are assumptions that that you bring to the data, and this would already be a certain theory because it is making assumptions about what causes what. Um, and um, yeah, this this is also uh, this kind of domain knowledge that that I was talking about because in order to make these assumptions, you need to have a good understanding of. 
um, of the context at hand and for example what is it that that drives uh Nobel prize winners in, in a certain country so um and we we i think we always have these kind of assumptions um at one point when we when we um approach data uh, and investigate data it's just a question how can we make this more more explicit and there are tools for this for example the the causal diagrams that i've mentioned that are actually not that difficult to use um so when people think about causal inference and data science they always have like uh, tons of equations in their mind right and, and highly sophisticated math um it can be much easier than that because in the end it's about uh making assumptions about what causes what um and and which variables are important in in this case and and which alternative explanations do you have to rule out and that is uh, can be captured in a quite qualitative way so you don't have to be a, a math or uh well a data science expert in order to do this that's very nice to know so <laughs> i can, so can i maybe in this in in this whole kind of um maybe making it more extreme so so i'm Probably I'm I'm kind of putting words in your mouth, but it's the promise of causal interpretation then, so that that they would kind of say that 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 has value. Is that really that strong? So you could say, um, I don't know, it, it, given the right model or even the right data, I, I can predict an increase in sales mm -hmm. with what certainty? Or is that uh, not? I mean, I'm now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it will not be certain, right? I mean, we also causal inference is is in a probabilistic framework, so um, it's it's a statement about if I okay. um, increase this variable x, then the likelihood of variable y, okay. the one that I'm interested in going up, is is higher, right? So that can still there's there's still variance in this, and um, uh, that's that's important also to know because if even if we have a, a identified a causal effect, let's say for firms uh, of adopting a certain management practice on, on sales for that one particular firm, it's still a probabilistic, uh, well, draw of, of whether you will actually materialize. But at least on average, often we are estimating average causal effects. Um, it's your best guess that, that this will be beneficial for you. Um, and uh, yes, that, that's exactly the idea. You want to take a certain action, intervention. Um, you want to adopt a certain management practice. You want to target a certain customer group. You want to change your pricing strategy, for example, in order to achieve a, a desired effect. So it's, it's really like this kind of stimulus response um, idea behind causality. It would not always be, or maybe not even often be possible, but what you'd like to be able to do is run experiments, pick a country, it just ship them tons of chocolate, and then measure the patents or PhDs, whatever, or the opposite, <laughs> ship a bunch of PhDs there and measure yes. chocolate consumption. So, like, you'd like so to Scott manipulate a, one variable and, and see what the other one does. So, so Scott, yeah, I think that's that's great because it leads us exactly to 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 the I think a question that I've got that's related to what you're talking about. Um, so it's and it's around you know this these we've understood that the correlation uh, approach, prediction approaches are um, uh, you can just do with the data, and but to do this causal stuff, you need something more. You need the theory or you need a a model. And so my question is, so it seems fairly subjective somehow i mean where do these models come from and i think this connects with 
with what you're you're asking, Scott. Yeah, so maybe I can uh, pick up this idea of of experiments because um, this this is very intuitive also to to many uh, that that are new to the topic. Um, experiments are often described as sort of the the gold standard of causal inference. Um, I I don't like this term, and I can explain why. But um, well, the the way why people call it, uh, or the reason why they call it the gold standard is. Causal inference is about predicting the outcome of an action. And if you run an experiment, you do the action yourself, right? So since the days of Sir Ronald Fisher, uh, he divided fertilizer on plots of land. So that was the action, right? Some plots of land got more fertilizer, others less. Uh, and then you just wait for some time and um, and you you observe the outcome. And um, that's also pretty easy to, to explain to, to practitioners, right? So um, that's why, why it's an effective tool in, in data science. You can, even if, if you're not a data science expert, you can easily communicate that to, to top uh, management, for example, if, if you're able to run these kind of experiments. So, so what kind of experiments would uh, are businesses doing? I mean, do, do, because I think businesses do kind of ex experiment on, on stuff. So what, what are, the most uh, things people mostly do yeah so one of our uh, respondents in in the interviews that we did uh was calling it the big hammer that uh, tech companies swing around uh, and that's uh it has a uh, well different terminology in different fields but in in businesses mainly called a b testing uh the idea of experiments uh so very literal name right you have an a option and you have a b option um, and uh, then you observe which of the two performs better on a certain outcome metric, and then you go either with the A or, or the B. Um, and that's often done in, in online contexts uh, because there you can reduce the, the costs of, of experimentation uh, quite drastically. And, uh, for example, companies like Booking.com, which is a leader in, in that field, uh, they run uh, several thousand uh, of, of experiments each year um, and then uh, if you go to the booking.com website, you would be either redirected to version A or B. Um, and often it's like these very small incremental changes, right? let's say uh, the, the color of a button or like the a sentence that differs that gives you more information at the checkout or something like that. Um, and then because, well, they have this huge number of customers over, over time, right? they can uh, measure even small effects uh, of, of these interventions. And if you do that long enough, the idea is that that way you can optimize your, your website, for example, and, and make it uh, more productive for you. Um, that's, that's the online context. That's, I think, the sort of uh, uh, standard example or prime example. But I mean, experiments, the idea is, is much older, right? Even in the offline world, like, um, for example, supermarket chains, they have experimental stores, right, where they try out new things, uh, rearrange the, the aisle differently or so, and, and then see which works better. Um, uh, and yeah, that's, that's this, uh, idea that you can implement the, the action that you're interested in yourself, um, and, and then quite easily observe, uh, which one is more effective. But the problem is like, uh, Scott has already alluded to that, uh, that's not possible in, in many contexts, right? So you can't, for example, experiment with, with countries, right? Uh, that will be very difficult to do. You can also not experiment, for example, in many uh, situations with, with people, right? So if you're thinking about, for example, uh, an HR context uh, and you 
um, now, for example, everyone is talking about working from home. Is that more or less productive? Right? It would be very hard to probably run an experiment where uh, you allow 50% of your workforce to work from home and the others have to come to your office. Right? So these are the kind of ethical challenges. Sometimes experiments are simply too costly. Um, and um, yeah, these are the, the common challenges with, with experimenting. So my the next question, obviously, is then, so what can you do then if you can't experiment? But I'll ask that straight away. Before that, I just wanted to, to ask, so how do people choose what hypothesis to test or what to experiment? So, for example, how do you say, well, I'm going to decide to change the color of the button? Why the button and not something else? What, what is the, how do people get to that? Yeah, I think that's very, uh, well, experimental in a sense. Um, the the honest answer is I would like to know too. So that, that is something that, that we're investigating. I think so. What, what we definitely know is that um, organizations like Booking.com, they've invested a lot of time and money to, first of all, reduce the, the cost of experimentation. So they, you set up a dedicated experimental platform with an interface um, so that it's easy to run these kind of experiments from the IT side. But then also they have invested a lot in reducing red tape. So what you don't want is that, um, well, I have a great idea for it's the green button that works better than the current blue button. Um, but I have this idea under the shower, but then I have to go first to my superior manager. That superior manager has to go to the next level and uh, in the end, the CEO has to give the go for, for doing this kind of uh, experiment, right? And in many organizations, that's actually the case. So many organizations, I think, are still quite risk averse when it comes to this kind of experimenting. Um, this experimental mindset of, of companies like Booking, Facebook, um, Google, and so forth, is uh, the idea that, well, teams, um, individual teams can can run these kind of experiments with as little red tape as possible. Um, you just have to take sort of ownership for this experiment, but it's okay if you fail, right? Because if if the uh, if the hypothesis doesn't work out the way I planned, we just stick to the to the baseline. Um, but uh, yeah, everyone can can run these kind of experiments with as little uh, bureaucracy as possible. So I believe Facebook, for example, they they have this quite uh, amazing system where they can show a different Facebook to different people. And from what I understand, they're continuously doing these experiments and it's nearly in a certain way automated. There's, they, they even change stuff in a, in a kind of uh, nearly automated way and try things out kind of automatically. Um, so one thing I was wondering, so can you do these experiments? For example, if I want to test a button, can I, for example, do try the button with red and then um, a few weeks later change it and see what works best. Um, is that why do they always do these experiments? It seems they, they you have this A B testing at the same time. Why why can't you just okay I do my website like this and then I do it like this and see what works best? Yeah, ideally you want to do it at the same time because um, you will always have some form of cyclicality, right? Or, or like time trends in, in your data. So if you do it sequentially, um, there's just a big risk that, um, well, let's say you do uh, the, the A option uh, in the first two weeks of December, and then you do the B option in the second uh, half of December. 
Um, and uh, then you observe an effect, but it's just driven by, uh, well, in this case, uh, Christmas, right? So, um, and again, like in the obvious cases, that would be one of those assumptions again uh, that I was talking about earlier. Maybe in the obvious cases, you might be able to catch that, but maybe it's just some other kind of, you know, time trend that that you're not able to catch. So um, that's why you usually want to do that exactly at the same time. Um, and often uh, in, in practice, these kind of A-B tests run for about two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, right? Um, and in the simplest case, it's really just you have these two options of, of Facebook or two versions of Facebook or two versions of the booking.com uh, exactly at the same time. Um, but of course, that might be um, uh, can be uh, inefficient in a way that if already very early on it turns out that the B option is much better than the A option. You you actually don't want to have those two options running simultaneously for four weeks. Um, you, you want to um, switch to the B option quicker. Um, and you can formalize this kind of trade-off um, uh, in a, well, in a kind of uh, what data scientists call a reinforcement learning or banded type of uh, modeling. Um, because, yeah, this trade-off is really about um, exploration and exploitation. You want to um, explore new possibilities, but at the same time, you want to exploit the uh, the best options that you're already having, and and in that way, um, you you can do that. So, um, but that would be already a quite sophisticated setting. These kind of banded models, not many organizations uh, apply that. Um, in it's often used in, in kind of pricing strategy, for example. Uh, but uh, I think that the standard is still the sort of plain A-B testing or an A-B-N testing where you would have more than two options running uh, simultaneously on, on the platform. So you mentioned reinforcement learning. I don't know if this takes us a bit off topic, but can you maybe just explain what, what that is? Is there an easy way to say what it is in a few words? Yeah, so uh, maybe I also put these two terms together: reinforcement learning and and bandits uh, uh, that uh, bandit modeling, um, and and there are difference between those two. But the the plain idea is really like um, trying or doing this kind of experimenting in in an automated way and in such a way that you, like I said, exploit um, the the better options earlier. So you wouldn't like um just simply wait uh, for for a fixed amount of time for, let's say two of uh, three weeks uh, to keep this experiment but you would try to um, expose more customers over time to the option that that you currently think is the better one uh, so if the b option turns out very early on to be better you wouldn't completely switch to the b option because then you would not exploit uh, explore the difference anymore between the two but you would for example go from a initial 50-50 split to a 60-40 split and then over time to a 70-30 split and so forth until at the end of let's say those uh, two weeks um, the, the B option that turned out to be better is is fully adopted and, and 100% everyone sees the B option. Okay so we've we've talked about um, experiments as the gold standard for doing causal inference and you mentioned that there, there are some often difficulties with doing experiments such as <clears throat> the fact that sometimes you cannot intervene on, on some things for, for maybe uh, purely practical or cost or moral reasons. You cannot actually perform the experiment you would like to do. 
Um, so uh, we do need to make decisions and uh, these decisions need to be based uh, on a causal and understanding. So how, what can people do? Is there something else people do? Can people can do companies can do instead of just experiments? Yeah, so the reason why I don't like this uh, term or phrase uh, that uh, experiments are, are the gold standard is, well, first of all, what you mentioned, in many settings, it's simply not practical to, to run experiments. Um, then uh, one uh, another challenge in, in practice is that since these experiments often run only for a short amount of time, like I mentioned, two, two weeks or so, um, if you want to observe a, a difference between the A and B option at the end, that needs to be something short term. Um, and that is the problem of uh, that. In reality, we base decisions often on, on proxy metrics, short term metrics. Um, but what we actually care for is, is in the long run. So let's say you, you care for whether a customer uh, comes back to your website. Um, but that is not something that you can observe after two weeks because maybe customers come infrequently to your website. So then you would rely on proxy metrics like, um, let's say, clicks on, on a certain link or something like that. Um, and that gives this kind of short-term um, perspective, myopic perspective um, that, that you often see when, when you have this kind of A-B testing strategy. Um, and the, the third big reason or challenge with experiments is, um, well, so-called is again, a technical term, external validity, but it's simply this idea of you run an experiment, um, at a certain point in time, um, or for a certain, let's say geographical area. And then you uh, worry about, um, whether this, uh, causal effect that you estimated from the experiment is also valid in, in different settings. Um, and in a business context, this happens frequently. Let's say you're, you're a small startup and you have run experiments in the past for a certain market, but now you want to expand to a different country. Um, the question, do customers in, in that market you want to expand to um, behave in the same way? Or do you have to let's uh, perhaps repeat uh, the same experiment again. So that, uh, that will be geographical space, but you can the same, uh, think about the same problem in, in time, right? You've done experiment in, in summer and then you had a lot of, um, uh, travelers for, for leisure purposes. Um, now you, you are in fall and it's maybe the business, uh, travelers that are more prevalent. So is the same, uh, cause effect still, still valid there. Um, and, uh, these kind of challenges um, lead then, um, well, many uh, data scientists and, and businesses to also look in beyond experiments um, into the idea of so-called, uh, well, observational causal inference, where you still want to do causal inference, but you're actually not intervening yourself. You're, you're doing an action yourself, but you try to figure it out simply from the from the data you observe um, that that you have accumulated in the past, uh, let's say the, the customer's uh, data on, on your website. Um, and also there with the right techniques, you you can identify um, causal effects. Um, and often these kind of causal effects from observational uh, methods, they, um, well, they're more robust uh, in, in terms of these challenges like external validity, because uh, there you can simply observe a much larger or, or broader uh, time space or, or longer uh, longer time horizon. And uh, so am I correct? Oh, sorry, go ahead, Jan. 
Well, I, I, I was just, I mean, I'm, I'm really, I mean, I'm not that well-versed in this whole kind of data, data perspective, but I feel like almost like the, uh, let's say the, the, the reasoning or the philosophy behind it is, is very similar. I mean, if you go down to really product innovation, where I'm more comfortable in and where kind of I live more like less my daily life, the, the notion of experiments is very, very strong there as well. So what, I mean, they call it prototyping, pretotyping and a hundred different other words, but it's basically the same idea. So what you need to do is you need to build something, test it uh, in a certain way. And then ideally you do many experiments and only then kind of, can you, can you, can you learn and improve and, and, and find and find an innovation that works in a certain sense. So I, I would really wonder where does this this I mean in a sense I feel like it's all uh, people don't believe that you or don't know how that you can gather data or have a sense of understanding the why. What you can mm -hmm. do is you have usage usage data, time spent on clicks um, on the website or the purchase intentions, state the person, all all these kind of which for me are more or less concerning the how like, or what people do. But there is kind of not a, nobody believes, and maybe that's kind of the, the, the what, what I'm asking for the third time in a sense is, how do you make somebody believe that, yes, you can find out stuff about why people do certain things? Does that make sense? So, in a, yeah. yeah, so um, there are different techniques and, and that's the uh, business of, of causal AI or causal inference uh, in general. But like in the, let's say, simplest case, case you are uh, just uh, simply able to rule out alternative explanations right so again this uh, example with the uh, shark attacks and, and the ice cream sales once you account for uh, let's say the, the number of, of sunny hours in doing that day or just simply how good the weather is probably you will see this correlation uh, going away right because you've accounted for yeah. a third variable um, and and suddenly um, you get this sort of null effect or, or zero correlation uh, because you've adjusted for for this third variable, and that's a that's a um, viable technique that uh, that people use. Then is of course the question: Have you accounted for uh, all? Um, in this case, yeah. uh, what we call confounding influence factors, and there the the kind of assumptions and and theory that I was talking about earlier uh, comes into play, right? So we need to make different assumptions. Um, if you already see, um, let's say the the spurious correlation going away, going to zero, I think that will already be uh, a good indication for you that uh, maybe this is not something you don't want to act upon, right? So maybe um, in while in research, we always want to get everything, you know, 100% right and, and perfect. And in practice, I think, uh, again, the 80% the rule applies, right? So in practice, it might be already good enough to, to account for a few of these uh, alternative explanations. Um, and, and maybe that tells us uh, what to uh, what to not act upon or uh, maybe shows us that that some correlations are still might might go down but are still uh, quite robust um, so um that is that is one technique um there are other uh, techniques in the in the observational causal inference camp that uh, apply this idea of of so-called quasi experiments um and that is really the the idea of 
um, well, it's not you personally as an analyst or data scientist running this experiment, but maybe it's uh, just a, a um, lucky coincidence or sort of nature running an experiment for you um, that you might be able to, to exploit productively. I like this idea of the third variable, this search for the third variable. So with, with the ice cream and shark attacks, you know, so, okay, so they have a, there's, they have a strong correlation. We cannot say one caused the other, but can we say, can we say conclusively that there is a third variable that did cause one and did cause the other, even if we don't know what it is, can we even say that that, that that third variable exists with certainty? Um, no, we can't, because uh, yeah. if we rule out this third variable, then we would conclude that ice cream sales do cause shark attacks, right? Because maybe the sharks yeah. smell the ice cream from, from the waters, right? So um, so there is no certainty, unfortunately, in this yeah. case. And there's also no way of, of figuring out this third variable from from purely looking at data, right? Slicing yeah. the data and then looking at it from different ways. So this is... Um, this has to come from theoretical grounds. So in this case, uh, well, you need an expert on uh, on shark attacks that that tell you it's uh, probably there's no causal relationship in a more realistic setting or the ones that we're interested in. You would need to talk to, for example, a marketing specialist or, or an HR executive that can tell you, um, well, what are the variables that you need to consider and how do they relate to each other? Um, do I maybe have overlooked something um, that could cause this kind of, um, I'm using the word causing, but in this case, it's the third variable that is, that is leading to this, uh, to this spurious correlation. But could, but could so, we say, uh, sorry, a quick follow up. Could we say this then that one of these is true? So shark attacks and ice cream, either one causes the other or a third variable exists. Can we say that one of uh, the two is true? Or possible, or conceivably, but if we're going theoretically, one or the other is true, or both could be true. Are we? If we're thinking of the set of everything that's possible, can we? Could we say that? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I mean, if you observe this uh, first order correlation between two variables, right? There's yeah. either a, a causal effect, or this is driven by a, a yeah. third variable, but both of that can happen at the same time, right? And and yeah. that's often the the case in reality that you observe a strong correlation, you account for a third variable. This correlation goes down, but it doesn't go down to zero. Uh, and right. that's, um, right. yeah, that that happens very frequently. That causal effects are are not as strong as as correlations, uh, but might still be be very useful. Right, because you could have multiple things causing something. Uh, yes. Right. Yeah. So your PhDs, I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, income, I mean, you could just, you could, you could list out a, a list of things and all, I mean, each of these has some uh, causation uh, ability. It's probably, mm -hmm. not, it's probably yes. not the right phrasing, but yeah. And it, if that's it, true, could... I guess they would, each one would have somewhat weaker uh, correlation with that, with, with the output, if you will, I think, right? Mm -hmm. If you have multiple, yes. yeah. And so, they can interact with each other, right? Like they can reinforce uh, or suppress each other. 
Well, so, uh, yeah, there probably so he... is. I mean, there probably is a correlation between I don't know dark chocolate consumption, higher income, and and PhD levels kind of thing. Probably there is something like a relationship there. Well, if you took and... longevity, like how long people are gonna yeah. live, like nutrition, uh, the 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 degree that they're in physical shape, and uh, level of education. If you take all of those, that certainly. I is. mean. They're going to sort of, they can all cause each other, right? The longer. I like that, Scott, because you're already in the business of causal modeling now. <laughs> <laughs> and often people use uh, the hands. Well, it's uh, not just A causes B. It's like A can cause, like, if because I, I take, because I live a long time, because I exercise, maybe that causes me as an individual. Oh, I also want to eat better because I, because I'm doing this lifestyle. And then they both go to a longevity uh, of life, right? So, and then, so you could have this sort of recursive uh, uh, loop, it seems. Yes, yes. But wow, so, where do we get this knowledge from? Uh, where do you, you said we bring in experts to to do to do this work to tell us that the sharks have nothing to do with the ice creams? But um, how do we know this then? I mean. Yes, so I, I think that's also a, a important perspective change. Uh, once to move from classical machine learning to um, to causal AI and, and causal data science, because the nowadays the the role of the data science is a little bit like um, well, almost like in-house consulting, right? And and data scientists work on on many different projects because they always apply sort of the same tools for for different problems, right? So like a predictive analytics algorithms, like uh, uh, whatever neural networks and uh, boosted trees and so forth, right? They work. Uh, in in various different contexts and and you have your your tool set and you apply it to to different problems that's not enough for um for figuring out causality because there you need to have this this domain knowledge about the sharks and and the ice cream or the um well uh, hr context or marketing or pricing um so either you need to bring in this uh knowledge yourself so maybe you you as a data scientist also have knowledge in uh, in in the finance area or you you have a marketing minor or so but i think what we believe is is more fruitful is when you have mixed teams or bring people together um those with the technical expertise about how to analyze data and what kind of algorithms to use and how to prepare data that's certainly still very very relevant and those uh, people that that have the the specific domain knowledge um, of of the phenomena that you're investigating, and I mean that also requires that of course these people are able to speak the kind the same language, um, which nowadays probably is um, is still difficult because um, well if, if we're talking about machine yeah. learning uh, and you uh, pair that data scientist with a marketing specialist, probably that marketing specialist. Uh, doesn't know that much about these specific predictive algorithms. Um, yeah. So uh, that's a challenge. Uh, in, but but in, my, in my question is, I think, more, more general and more, more philosophical is, is um, how do people, experts or whoever, acquire their uh, causal understanding? Um, where do people get these? So, yeah, we can bring an expert in, but what is it that this person has has done or, or what is it that 
makes it such that he can have a model like this? Is this a question we can answer? Or is this too? Is this too? Do we not know actually what the answer is to that? Yeah. So I mean, if we're talking uh, philosophy, um, then I should probably say that I mean, a causal model is is a model, and a, a model is always an abstraction of reality, right? So sometimes uh, people. Um, once they get into the business of causal inference, they're sort of overwhelmed and thinking like, how can we possibly have a model of, uh, let's say the the shark attacks, right? Like, what is the the, the one model about about shark attacks? Uh, and uh, well, a model is only useful if it's an abstraction and you have this kind of Occam's razor that's sort of like the the smallest uh, model possible that is still still useful in a sense, right? So. Um, first of all, I don't think it needs to be this this big theory of everything. Uh, it needs to be just a useful theory. And I think for the shark attacks, it's enough. This this one third variable would already do the job. Um, and well, then it depends, right? I guess, I mean, um, it's uh, we, we can need to investigate this uh, further, but I guess it's, it's sort of experiments, experience that you accumulate over time. Uh, that make you an expert in this particular domain. Um, I think what is also very useful um, if you have the time is to uh, investigate the scientific literature, perhaps on a, on a topic, right? To identify what kind of variables are important, how do they relate to each other, what could be possible uh, alternative explanations, um, and uh, well, there are certain. Um, data science techniques that you can also use for causal modeling. Uh, so that would be um, the, the general idea of causal discovery. So, so there are ways to also sort of do causal modeling in a data-driven way, but it will never get you like 100% there. So you will always have this kind of theoretical or expert domain knowledge that you need to bring into. So the, the idea is basically that experts, they are in their practice they are kind of doing kind of experiments and therefore they gain some kind of uh, knowledge maybe or something something like this yes so um experiments not, not formally exper experiment yeah not yeah, yeah exactly so this will be sort of implicit in in the heads of people and um if we want to do causal inference we need to get this this domain knowledge out of the heads of people so um, I mean, I, I know, for example, of, of organizations that uh, take causal inference uh, very seriously and, and they put data scientists and domain experts in, in a meeting room uh, in front of a flip chart and, and ask them, like, uh, please, uh, let's, let's produce this causal diagram of this certain aspect because we need to know uh, what kind of variables are important, what do we need to account for. Uh, what are possible alternative explanations. Um, and uh, once you get people going with this process, you you can actually be surprised in, in how how much sort of domain knowledge there is out there that you can productively use, but you need to get it out of the heads of, of people. That's the challenge. Yeah. And you need to have a certain framework for doing this. So uh, in, in my team, with my, with my co-authors, we were working on um, the the so-called causal data science canvas. I think canvas is idea that that many people in the in the business as like um, context know like the yeah they um, love canvases canvas for everything canvas for canvases canvas for everything canvas for canvases 
Yeah. So it's a bit of an overused tool, exactly. There's a canvas for everything, but since people are aware of it and, and know this kind of tool, uh, we try to tweak it and adopt it yeah. uh, to to um, yeah offer this as as a possibility or a tool that people can use for for doing this kind of causal modeling. What's what's it called again? What's the name again? It's the causal data science canvas. Okay. Okay. And, yeah, and I also wanted to get back to something Jan talked about and which I think is of interest to um, to us. I mean, we talk about uh, creating new services and products and how can we ensure that these products and services are, are successful. Now, we've talked, you've talked about experimentation and how we can use data and experiments to, to do this. But uh, prior to actually building a, a product, um, we also have to kind of have an idea of what we're going to build. And uh, as many designers or innovators will say, it's crucial to understand uh, customer needs. And I, I was wondering, is there a connection between this kind of causal reasoning and this understanding of customer needs? Do you see a, a link there? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. I mean, I think like a lot of the the marketing literature uh, on on customer needs would be still in this kind of predictive framework so like identifying customers that have a certain need and that we can target with a product or uh, that we can target with a certain kind of advertising and and that advertising would be differently effective for for others so that would be sort of a, a prediction problem in that case um, but this kind of idea in, in causal inference generally or causal process that we always want to identify uh, drivers uh, of change and, and actions that are effective, I think, um, well, that, that is also relevant in the generally in the innovation process and, and coming up with, with products and services. So everything relating to, for example, pricing, right? pricing experiments would be, would be important um you can experiment with with product features um trying to improve the customer journey right so this uh booking.com example again um that would be sort of not the product itself but you make the the, the customer journey uh much easier and that drives uh your sales and, and bottom line um or certain uh well process optimization um trying to improve um services that way uh, optimizing the logistics around the product, so that would all be um, pillars that where where causal AI and causal inference would play a role. Because it, I mean, it seems to me that I mean, you can correct me if this is not correct, but it seems to me that any kind of explanation of uh, let's say why people do things is fundamentally a, a, has a causal base to it. Explanations are causal. Now, maybe you can tell me this is not correct, but uh, therefore I'm kind of wondering if, um, so for example, if you ask someone, why did you buy this thing rather than this thing? They can probably explain, well, because blah, blah, blah. And they'll use the word because, 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 because. And that's where I'm coming from in terms of wondering, is there some some connection in that respect um, that that we can. So, for example, does to be more specific, I mean, is it useful for designers and innovators to try and understand the causal models of their potential um, customers or, or users? 
Yes, yes. Um, because whenever we ask a why question, uh, that that will be a, a causal question. Uh, I mean, there's there's the book of why by Judea Pearl, who's uh, the the eminent figure in in the space of of causal AI, and he called this book uh, for a reason. Um, the uh, why question is causal um, because um, well, whenever you would ask someone why did you buy this certain product and and that customer tells you well it was because this certain product feature right that implies a kind of counterfactual state where the this specific product feature would not be present and then the customer would not have bought the uh the product right so in this case would be a sufficient cause uh, for for that customer to make the, the purchasing decision, um, and and that is a causal question because um, well yes the, the 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 causal knowledge about it is it was this specific product feature that that led uh, customer X to to buy is is counterfactual or, or causal in nature and um, th so that is very relevant for for product designers. The question is how can you get this causal knowledge right? You you know alluded to uh, you can ask people. Uh, and maybe they're good enough and can tell you in a focus group, uh, it was specifically that feature. Um, in certain contexts, I might be a bit more skeptical about this. Right? Are, are people actually able to to pinpoint uh, uh, the causal driver of their purchasing decision? But, but it, so, would it be a feature? Sorry to cut, cut you off. I'm sorry about that. But uh, would it be, I mean, of course, people can buy something for a feature, but could they also, could the cause be, uh, a kind of let's say constraint or um on on what they want to achieve or or let's say uh, 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 somehow a goal uh, for example i can say okay i choose to eat a sandwich uh at lunch instead of uh, having a three course meal because i i don't have much time and so in a way it's it's not got much to do with the product i mean how does that would that does that make sense yeah it could be a a, a desire of the customer too i mean i'm i'm not a marketing expert what i would imagine that in in most of the cases that that's the uh the most important causes right like you have a, a certain need um that that causes you to to buy a, a product um and uh, then it's a question as as a marketer can you can you somehow affect or, or change this need, right? I guess that will be the, the business of uh, not just informative uh, uh, advertising, but more like convincing advertising, right? Can you maybe target messages at this customer that that changes the psychological state that then will be the, the final cause of, of making the customer decision? But then again, would require on, on the stage beforehand, you need to know which kind of advertising message is effective in, in changing the customer need. And that is again a causal knowledge. And you can try to figure out this causal knowledge by, by doing experiments, um, or you can try to figure out this, this causal knowledge by, uh, by looking at ex post data and seeing what kind of messages have been effective in the past. And is that just the spurious correlation? Is that just the, the ice cream and the shock uh, attacks? Or is that actual a causal effect of um, of this advertising? So uh, again, Meta or Facebook that we were talking about earlier, they uh, nowadays make a lot of money with this um, uh, doing um, advertising campaign 
um, analysis for their for their customers, right? Uh, so you you want to advertise a certain product, uh, and then you have different kind of uh, advertising messages, and Facebook. Uh, offers you to run these kind of A-B tests on their platform, and then they tell you which one of the messages were uh, more effective and to which kind of customers, because there will be an interaction of customer needs um, and the specific message that is targeted towards them. Um, and that is the kind of causal knowledge that in this case is, um, well, is figured out by, by experimental ways, uh, but it doesn't have to be experimental. I have a question. We, we keep uh, this... This concept of causal models is pretty interesting. The one we sort of we we describe is you know the back to the ice cream and the shark attacks is you know so B B and C are correlated, and so perhaps one causes the other, or perhaps there's an A that causes B and causes C. So that would be maybe a pretty simple model. It it seems to be is it seems to be there might be some finite not number of just archetypical so there's there's one seems like there might be some finite number of just archetypical models like there's the the 10 mod that i mean maybe not complete but like the 10 models that we might most often templates almost that we might think about as different maybe two variables could cause one or whatever uh, is do you, in in your field do those exist like we have these this set of you know, 10, 12, whatever it is, uh, sort of uh, template archetypical models? Yeah. Um, so I'm on, on the technical side, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of causal diagrams. Um, that is a me methodology developed by, by Judea Pearl and, and others um, that allow to capture these kind of qualitative relationships like A causes B or B causing mm -hmm. A. Um and uh, then these kind of templates that you were mentioning, I think, are, are useful to get a first idea. And I think many also even cause causality experts sort of work with these kind of templates. Um, but in reality, it can be, of course, more, more complicated. It can be um, not A causing B and C, but it could be, you know, Z causing A and A causes B and C, you know, like second order layers, let's say. Um, and, and that is very relevant in practice. So I think it's sort of as, as a starting point, the templates are very good to, to get a, a first idea and, and maybe be cautious about something. But then if you really want to nail it down, I think the setting up a, a causal diagram and using that tool for example, like I mentioned earlier, sitting uh, with uh, with colleagues together and and trying to really uh, figure out what what the causal processes are that are relevant here, um, and and then it can go beyond these kind of simple templates. Can I maybe interject a bit of bit of like a, a philosophy in here? So we I think a lot of this centers around, and that's why the book is also so great. I mean, the book of why centers around the question of why we want to understand why something happens and causal explanations seem to be like a very, really important thing in that. Why did customer X buy product Z? We want to know why it happened. So, but of course, and even and when you ask them, it's even trickier. There's different kinds of answers that you can give to the question why. There's different kinds of causes if you so wanted. You can give, you mentioned final causes as a word, but there is a variety of, depending on who you ask, a variety of different 
kinds of causes, if you so like. It's, or is that something in... in Come on, in, say in, it, Jan. Say, it's, it's mention, say the name. <laughs> it's at least, well, it starts with Aristotle, of course, where you have the four different causes and so on, but but, but there is other other topics, uh, other authors as well. So, or, or is kind of with the work that, that Julia Pearl has done and in this causal inference theory, if you so, if you so like, is, is it... Is there one notion of causality? It's always the same kind of causing, or or are there different kinds of causalities, yeah. if you so like? So there are certainly different frameworks. Uh, I think, like in let, to go less abstract and and more on the technical data science day to day business, I think the, there is the um, well graphical framework to causality. That would be the causal diagrams and and the work by Judea Pearl, often coming from the computer science side. And there's this kind of quasi experimental potential outcomes framework. Um, that is more prevalent, let's say, in the social sciences, but also epidemiology and um, and biostatistics. Um, and uh, well, on a very abstract level, you can show that these two frameworks are actually equivalent like on a theoretical level, uh, but they have different practical implications. So the way you would do causal inference, let's say, uh, on the ground on a specific problem depends on what kind of lens you're having. And, and we see also these kind of diff two different camps uh, depending on on uh, where people are trained and um, and and what kind of perspective they've picked up, uh, let's say in college, for example. Um, beyond that, let's say going back to Aristotle, uh, although I'm definitely not an expert there, but my idea is I think that like causality is of course this this kind of important philosophical concept that we've debated for for two thousand years, probably longer, right? Certainly um, longer. <laughs> certainly longer, yeah. And and it seems to me that we haven't made that much progress in yes. uh, in philosophy on that. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, what I at least see is that well, the, the computer scientists came up with this framework, the uh, causal diagrams and directed acyclic graphs, and I see that being used nowadays also in philosophy to answer yes. certain uh, questions about you know the um well final cause and and root causes and these kind of concepts right so so this framework is is definitely being picked up um yeah. but yeah there might be still competing uh frameworks and and maybe arguments uh against it or you know thought experiments that um uh, maybe not invalidate a theory but show boundary conditions but there i'm not an expert no, I completely agree. So it's it's. I mean, the work of Judea Pearl it, it now kind of it's now influencing how philosophers think and talk about mm -hmm. think and talk about causality. Because I mean, his you mentioned that phrase. It's so this counter counterfactual explanation of causality. I think it's that's really the notion that is now gaining much more traction in philosophy itself, and and that really is progress compared to the two thousand years to where we. Even at one point, if you ask, Hume didn't believe that causality exists, but that's a different kind of bucket we don't want to open now. But um, um, I would still be interested in now. I mean, in the but you, you need to make a kind of choice in a certain sense. So going back to the example of a customer, I mean, if you ask them why did you buy product X, they it's still the, the, the it is the case that they can mention different things. I mean, they can say, well, I walked by it, I I just saw it. Uh, they can mention a specific product feature. They can say, well, the price was low. 
um, they could say, well, I didn't find an alternative product. So how do you choose which kinds of answers to a why question are, are the ones that you listen to? Yeah, so I think that um, brings us back to, to what we mentioned earlier is that there are uh, different causes and um, maybe competing causes. Um, and um, for like in reality, there will be a multitude of causes. Yeah. Um, and from a practical perspective, then it's a question, which of those causes can you actually exploit? Can you change the, the price of a product yeah, or sure. is that fixed? Yeah. Can you change the product features? Right. So that, that becomes a practical question. Um, I think, uh, yeah. So in, in terms of the, again, theory and, and philosophical explanations, we would like to know the, the root cause of, let's say yes. climate change right but uh, that will probably be unlikely that we will find this this root cause right but it's already good if we can find a cause of, of climate change and maybe exploit that to to reduce carbon dioxide uh, emissions yeah. so that will be this perspective i think from a pragmatic uh, point of view yeah yeah okay make, that makes a lot of sense Great. So I think it's time to probably uh, bring this home. Um, I I had a just a, a last uh, maybe fun question to ask you. If if you could uh, put a uh, you you had the first page of Google where you could put a kind of ad or something. You could put some write something. Um, what is it that you would write on there that you want everyone to know that they're going to have millions of people. We're going to go and visit this and they're going to see this ad. What would you put on there? Oh, that's a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I'm really happy that this uh, kind of Nicolas Cage uh, example is making the rounds on Reddit because I, I think it's <laughs> teaching uh, people this hammering home, this idea of correlation is not causation, which is already an, an important uh, thing to keep in mind. I think we shouldn't stop there. Uh, because that's a kind of negative message, right? It's maybe uh, lets you be uh, cautionary about certain things that you see and, and not believe everything that also the media writes about, you know, two glasses of red wine are good for your health and these kind of things. Uh, but I would like to also have sort of the, the, the positive message and uh, teach more people about on, on a conceptual level um, how can you actually make causal statements and 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 figure out uh, causal effects and then produce causal knowledge, um, and that also um, affects my, for example, my own teaching here uh, in at Copenhagen Business School. I don't think that uh, causal inference needs to be the super technical only for the math geeks kind of subject. Uh, I think it can be taught sort of at a level at a uh, like like the book of why, which is a very fun book to read. I think as far as, let's say, these kind of uh, pop science books go, uh, the book of why is already pretty technical. So so it's, I'm not saying it's an easy read, but I think if you if you put in the time and say it's actually a fun read and, and it gives you a lot of perspective and tools and, and then uh, going from this negative message of correlation isn't causation uh, gives you this kind of positive outlook and, and figuring out uh, what is actually going on. Um, I think that would be one. Um, and apart from that, I mean, um, there, there are many more uh, good resources these days on the internet, right? So uh, good blog posts. Um, we have our own causalscience.org uh, website where we have a blog uh, regularly 
um, writing about these topics. Um, we organize once a year the, the causal data science meeting, which is a, um, a conference that brings together uh, practitioners and academics uh, because we saw the need for this kind of knowledge transfer uh, that always is sort of implying a, a, a one-directional relationship. I think it's more like a fruitful exchange between academics and, and practitioners. Um, and uh, yeah, we see we see this uh, growing over time, uh, interest in, in causal AI. And, and I think that's a really great development. Great. Well, thanks so much, um, uh, Paul. It is uh, really uh, great, uh, great to talk to you today. Um, I just want to remind our listeners that uh, the article that was the, the basis of our, our discussion that you wrote with, with uh, some colleagues of yours uh, is called Causal Machine Learning and Business Decision Making, which I really recommend to people um, to go and check it out. We'll put it also a link to it in the um, the notes for the the show. Um, is there any other place uh, people can follow you, link up with you? Uh, yes, I'm pretty active on Twitter, uh, and I'm tweeting uh, regularly about uh, causality and, and causal data science. So this is where I'm most active. You can also find me on, on LinkedIn, uh, and yeah, have a look at uh, the causal data science meeting and uh, causalscience.org. Hey, could you give your Twitter handle maybe so people can... Uh... Uh, yeah, it's P. Hunamund, uh, but uh, with U E instead of the umlaut U. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, that concludes today's Product Quest podcast. Please send any comments or ideas for future shows to productquestpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time. <laughs>